Welcome to Vaguely Music. My name is Ryan Strumpfler. And I am Kelsey Jacobson. And we're very, very, very lucky to have the incredible Rieko with us today. She was one of my college professors at UMass Dartmouth way back in the day. So thank you for being here, Rieko, or, or there technically. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me today. So Rieko, can you give us a little bit of a, a short synopsis of... Um, who you are as a musician okay. and some of the things that you've done that have gotten you to this point. Okay. Um, okay. So I was born and grew up in Japan. I was purely classically trained, uh, but uh, also I play a heavy metal band in high school um, just because I had a crush on my classmate who played guitar. Uh, <laughs> My That's pick. awesome. That's yeah. so cool. That's oh, so cool. Yeah. And unfortunately, he liked somebody else. So that was very heartbreaking, but that's okay. You know, um, we. Uh, I, I just wanted to have an excuse to be with him. But that's that's. But it was a, quite an experience, you know, playing Beethoven, Bach, and suddenly I was playing Deep Purple, Van Halen, you know. Oh, my gosh. And uh, it was a lot of fun, actually. And my parents... They both, not the professional musician, but they really like all kinds of different music. So, you know, my mother played classical record when we were, you know, my my older sister and I were playing inside the house. Uh, my father was a really good singer. So, and he played the guitar a little bit. Um, they had all this eclectic taste of music from Latin to jazz to Japanese pop music, to classical. Um, and and then, you know, by the time I was a teenager, also my older sister was also listening to Queen, Toto, Journey, you know, Eagles. Oak. Um, so I was introduced to those kind of music too. Um, so then I went to conservatory in Tokyo um, while I was, again, still trained purely classical education my yeah my boyfriend and who was also very good baroque musician he was so into progressive rock so wow yeah he introduced me to king crimson peter gabriel Bush, you know (laughs) you know emerson lake and palmer all kinds of things and so i was always kind of surrounded by people with very interesting taste in music. Yeah, those are two very different worlds to have to navigate between. Yes, especially in those days. Uh, yeah. Crossover was not very, you know, common. Um, probably Keith Emerson was probably pretty much the only person, you know, kind of did a really good crossover. Then I came to United States. I came to New England Conservatory for my master's degree. And then just cut the story short, you know, I really, really liked Boston and I didn't want to go back to Japan. So here I am. Um, but oh, then I started, I played a lot of chamber music since I came to Boston. Then at Longy School of Music, uh, where I was doing the artist diploma music um, as a part of my scholarship, 
I was assigned to accompany the class about turn of century European cabaret music, which is Turk oh. 1900 Berlin and the Paris uh, cabaret music. Um, yeah. So then from this group, uh, this class, and uh, the group emerged. There are three singers and me. We actually founded the group called the Fallen Angels, F-O-L-L-E-N, Angels, because Long yeah. School of Music was on the Fallen Street in Cambridge. Oh, okay. okay. Got it. Yeah. yeah. And we kind of, you know, so it was kind of funny. You know, it's, it sounds a little risque, but actually it's F-O-L-L-E-N, you know, so it's kind of tongue-in-cheek. Right. And so we started as a European cabaret group. We did Ed Edith Piaf and even older stuff, like Amal and Dietrich. But then two singers eventually left the group. And the, the last singer who, she was really jazz inclined. So we really start leaning towards jazz repertoire, like American songbook. Now, okay. I love to listen to jazz, but I never played lead sheet. Um, wow, okay. No, um, I knew what the chord means, but so then yep. I, so I started, you know, playing out of lead sheet with bass players, drum players, and saxophone players. Um, and I did that one for 13 years, and we so did all kinds of things. Uh, we also did a 50s and 60s rock and roll show. And we did a lot wow. of... Yes, so um, I even played harmonica for Dylan's piece and I played a kazoo. No! For, oh, yes, I played a kazoo. That's from, amazing! Uh, yes, so I did everything and I sang the background vocal. Um, oh, that's and, so cool. Yes, yeah, so I did 13 years of that. Then I kind of felt like Suddenly, I just wanted to go back to my roots because that group was took so much time, and I actually didn't have time to play any classical music, and I really missed it. So yeah. after 13 years, and this was 2010, I left the group. The group is still going very strong, um, performing in the Boston area a lot. Was it uh, the same? Was it the same members the whole 13 years? Did no, you have people uh, um, switching no. out? Well, like I said, you know, there's a, we had a, some different singers came and go, except the, me and another singer. We were, we, you know, the core. And, yeah, that that singer is still running the group. And, gotcha. And I think they have a regular, pretty much regular drummer and, um, you know, group. But yeah, so I, she was my partner, the vocalist. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, that's. Uh, that's kind of how it went. And then I, after that, I kind of said, okay, I want to go back to, you know, classical. So I left the group and then I start practicing my classical again. And I did, a, you know, a bunch of faculty recitals at the Yuma Dartmouth while I was there. And also Winchester yep. Community Music School, where I teach now, and did a chamber music and also solo piano recitals and uh, and then i left the emma startmas uh god what year was that 2016 i think i was gonna yeah. say it had Se to be a couple of years ago 17 yeah because it was yeah. after it was around the time i had graduated yes i think yeah then now i'm teaching 
exclusively at the Winchester Community Music School. I have a student from six years old to 75 years old. And, oh my gosh. <laughs> and I teach classical music, but for some kids, I teach them how to, you know, play out of the lead sheet. Yeah. Yep. So that's where so, I am right now. So right off the bat, right? Yes. Um, talk to me about when you had started to play um, jazz and you had started to play the the club scene for for more mm-hmm. contemporary popular yes. music yes. and you had to improvise. Oh, yes. Right? Because yes. a lot of improvisation oh, yeah. isn't is it popular the uh, in or or isn't really prevalent in a lot of classical music? So those yeah how, those days nobody taught us how to improvise. Um, I just played by ear, you know. I just but but I listened to a lot of jazz always because my mother loved jazz playing. She took me to you know jazz concert, um, and so. I always, what's the word? Noodling, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I noodled a lot as a kid, just outside of my practice time. I loved to just kind of, but that's that's a different because it was like a Keith Jarrett kind of thing. You know, there's no one else. So I was just, I was able to go anywhere I want to. And but yeah, no, no limitations whatsoever. Exactly, exactly. But then. So this one, you know, in a group I had to do in a certain time and I had to follow the chord of the song. So that was always, I always felt like I was walking on a tightrope. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was fun. It was really fun. So right. I still don't call myself a jazz pianist because I was really never trained. And I always fa- felt like I was kind of fake jazz pianist. But we did the five CDs during my gig, and that's pretty. That's pretty heavy, say, yeah. For, for for faking it, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty legit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So so I did a lot of improvisation, and you know, so I just did it. You know, I just did it. Be- you don't make an excuse or anything. I was in that situation. I do it. So, and I had a fun. Did it, did it feel less, um, less like you were walking on eggshells as time went by or did that feeling always kind of stay? I mean, it was, uh, I wouldn't call it eggshell. It was tightrope. It gives you adrenaline. Yeah. And you know, you partly enjoy it, you know? Yep. Uh, yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 But the, I always felt a little bit inadequate because you know, I was playing with real, authentic jazz players. Yeah, you know, the yeah. Bass players and sax players. I always felt a little self-conscious with them, but they were so nice. So, you know, I I just jumped in. You know. Yeah, I find that's that's the stress. I feel like you even so for for a lot of the students that are just like diving into the world of mm-hmm. even even being. Uh, songwriting on their own or like just anything that's like a free form expression. I think they all have that sensation of like, I can't play with the big dogs, whoever they happen to be. And I feel like that, that sensation comes at every stage. Yeah. But, but you know what? I never, uh, I, I don't compare myself to other people a lot. You know, I never did. So, you know, I 
don't beat myself up too much. That was always my strength. Because when yeah. you start looking at other people, there's always people who are better than you. And yes. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, and it's true. You know, there is, uh, this is a really funny one that one of my colleagues, the classical voice teacher, uh, told me he one day went into audition. And uh, there is a soprano singer before him. He was a tenor. And he, he was able to hear her singing inside of the room. And she wasn't very good. You know, and then this woman, this and this woman walked out very upset. And as walking away, she said, I sing much better than I sound. Oh, that's interesting. I know. I know. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> but it's a, it's a, I, you know, he told me that line and we, we kind of left, but I felt really bad because there is a quite a few students I've seen in UMass Dartmouth, you know, they feel like that, you know. Yes. And that is really slows you down, you know. It does. And you it, well, it's that it, it's the weird line between um, like confident and then yeah. overconfident to the point or, where you're not seeing. Or also you have like you know, really unreal expectation of yourself. Yes. Yes. Right. So you also catch them at the university level. You catch people who were usually at the top of their class, high school, Mm -hmm. music wise. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of, you're big fish, small pond. Yeah. And then you come to university and you realize that everybody there was was a big fish in a small pond. Yeah. And Unlike things like music school is weird because, and I'm sure you can relate to this, Riego, mm-hmm. uh, having taught it and having gone to it on multiple yeah. levels. Yeah. Music school is weird because unlike accounting or poli sci where everybody's flatlined and you all learn the same skills, mm-hmm. you know, you go to music school and one person's incredible at sight reading and the other one's been playing jazz since they were four. Yeah. And somebody's been, you know, you have all these very high functioning skills. Yes. Whereas in other professions, when you go to the collegiate level, it's kind of a flatline. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, other people always sound better to your ears. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, you know, I was in my conservatory in Japan that I don't want to brag, but it was the be- one of the best in the nation. There's yeah. Seiji. It was Seiji Ozawa's alma mater. Um, and so, you know, you look around and you see the people as a faculty member or even some of the like older students. You've seen them on national TV performing. Right. You know? And those people are walking around and, you know, y- you can't just keep yourself compare. Um, and so basically my teacher has a great attitude. So I just, you know, did, I just minded my own business, enjoyed playing, worked hard, and just whatever I my result is, I was happy with it. Um, right. Yeah. You judged your own success by your own exactly. success rather than everybody exactly. else around you. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you have to be like that. And it's the, also, you kind of have to be happy with where you are. You always keep, you know, try to your, better yourself. But if you don't think you're up to your own standard, then you're so upset. Now, that's another disease that I see all the time at the music school students. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Well, I think they forget, right? Because actually we've talked a bit about this on this podcast already, which is like, it's, you know, art of any kind is all about the journey and it's a lifetime journey. Yeah. And if you're not emotionally and mentally prepared for that, Mm -hmm. it it will be hard to make it a lifetime journey because you're going to feel every step of the way is going to feel like a burden and a failure rather than a a joy of like, what's the next thing or what's, oh, isn't this a fun process? Or you're losing the perspective that it's long. Right. So that burns people out a lot too. Yes. Yes. Uh, But also uh, the other thing is when you limit your words. So this is what I really want to talk about today. If you limit, you know, your goal and what you want to do just in your practice room, you know, then you, it's very easy to get into that state. Yes. So you really need to look around, you know, and in order to, like my, one of my teachers always used to say, you know, if you just keep, you know, like classical musician, we practice long hours some piano student practice 10 hours in conservatory, but that doesn't make you better pianist, you know, better artist. Right. And so that's where it comes, um, you know, this diversity that you have to do, and you have to do it while you're young. You have to start that habit, you know, when you think, you're so busy with your university work and then you have no time to do anything else. That's when you need to do those things. Live your life, look at the other stuff, learn other things, you know? Yeah, so so making sure that you don't get stuck always doing the same thing. Yeah, you know, because... And you, things that you yeah. know you are comfortable with. Exactly. Broccoli is good for you, but you can live on simply just in exclusively on broccoli. Right. You know, you need to eat French fries sometimes. You know, I agree. I agree. (laughs) And you need to know how wonderful to eat ice cream. And the same thing can be said for music. You know, Mm -hmm. if you don't know how beautiful sunset is, if you don't know what your heart, you know, what is heartbreak, you know, I mean, classical music, when you play romantic era music, like those 19th century composers, Chopin or Liszt, you know, if you don't know what love is, you can't play them. Yeah. Right. So this is, this is, this is one of the big things coming through and experiencing and being able to express is massive. And when you had talked a little bit about being on the tightrope, mm-hmm. that's when you start to be able to show emotion, right? Cause if you know the yes. material too well and you're just all in, and you're not taking any chances I think, musically, yeah, yeah. The cl- you, you don't class- express anything. Yeah, yeah. and classical music probably works in a little bit different way, you know, because mm-hmm. it comes from a practice, practice over and over again. You know, the, you know, every single note, you know, to the details, but yeah. you still play differently every time. Right. And there's still individualism comes through. So, I really found the both word is very different, but, um, you know, it's, it just stimulates a brain different part because do you feel that 
playing the jazz in the jazz world and in the contemporary world, did it give you a different perspective on playing classical music when you went back again? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, What it did to me is, uh, I don't want to use the word flexible, but um, I think... I think attitude. I learned attitude, uh, probably, you know. Don't yeah. be apologetic. Um, but, and also, I think my classical training also really um, affected how I play jazz and contemporary music, rock and roll, I think. Um, yeah? Yes. Um, because, you know, my ear training and I, I look at the chord. I, you know, did, how do I say this? This is kind of difficult to explain because, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because again, it's so different process. It's really a different process, but doing those both totally different process. And as an artist, I think I felt like it's complementing each other. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I think, you know, Ryan, you did a classical guitar at the while you were at the university, right? I did jazz guitar. Oh, you, yeah, you Rika, did, oh. I was I was way too much of a free spirit. Oh, that's <laughs> like, right. That's right. Oh, but I, I thought, <laughs> but I thought you took a little bit with Will, no, Professor Ryan. No, so so Will was just happened to be in the room as I was finishing up. I was. Yeah. I was all Jim Robitaille, as you yeah. can't see, but I'm oh, wearing no, a totally am, Jim yeah, Robitaille yeah, shirt as yeah. well today. Yes. <laughs> uh, go ahead. Oh, okay. I think maybe I mixed you up with someone else, some other jazz That's, all right. That's all right. Sorry. No, We're no, no, all no. long-haired guitar players. I know. We're all the you, same. You know, you we then remember you must start with us. There's like a lots of dudes, you know. So I, I always, I always call the guitars, jazz guitar students. Oh, those are Jews, you know. Like either, <laughs> and there are so many of them. But uh, yeah, I mean, but you know, like Oscar Peterson, who is one of my jazz piano god. You know, he, mm-hmm. I think he was originally classically trained, and you can hear how he handles his phrases and notes that. He has a classical technique, which, you know, so, uh, and, and don't forget the Richie Blackmore. Oh, yeah. Who oh, loved, what a great pick. Who loved the classical music, you know, and a lot of his music is hugely influenced by Beethoven. I mean, yeah, you can hear yeah. that on tunes, not just on, like on Highway Star, but you hear that on Burn. You you yeah. can hear it on on a lot of those tunes. Baroque, uh, you know, you very, have the rock riff, very and, baroque. Yes, yeah. And he did. The, I think he also did a Beethoven's Ninth Symphony when he was at. Uh, oh, what's the his n- name of the uh, Rainbow? Rainbow did Rainbow. The, yeah, with yeah, the cover with of Ronnie Beethoven. James Dio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, and. Even Carlos Santana, he stole from Brahms. So I have a question for you. Yes. I mean, that's why we're interviewing you. Um, <laughs> Please. What's, what's kept you at the piano? Because you've talked about exploring other genres, and you briefly mentioned playing harmonica. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. kept you going back to the piano specifically? Well, you can you really make a, make a living with kazoo, and I started after I was 40. But, <laughs> um, 
Well, I, okay, I started the piano when I was three. Mm -hmm. And my older sister started piano a year before. And my can I actually, can I interrupt on that? Yes, because it, it, I want to ask about, um, before you finish that answer, yes, uh, there's a lot of people who have strong opinions about what age children should be starting music lessons. Oh, and good question. Yes. Yeah. What do you, where when, do you sit on that line? Whenever <laughs> the kid is ready. Some kids are ready at three. Some kids are ready at seven. I have... One of my best students at the music school right now, he's a high school senior. He's going to be a uh, double major with music when something else. Uh, yeah. it, he started when he was 10. Yep. And, and now he plays Rachmaninoff and, you know, Chopin and, you know, all this stuff. So, you know, and some some parents believe, oh, my, my student is ready. Uh, my child is ready. You know, she's four, but she's very talented, and it didn't work at all. And right. I was yep. probably very precocious kid, so I was ready in a way. Uh, <laughs> well, the problem was uh, my mother took me with them when we went to the piano teacher's house for my sister's mm -hmm. lesson, and I behaved so badly. I run up to the piano. I wanted to play, you know, all this three years old nightmare. So my mother decided to leave me at, you know, leave me alone in the house when they go to basically next block to the piano lesson. Yeah. I was devastated. So I wanted to go there. So as a little three years old brain um, came up with excuse to go there. And I said, I want a piano lesson too, mommy. Oh, Wow. So that, that I could use them. But I love that teacher. I still keep in touch with my very first teacher. Uh, oh my gosh. And since then, I was weird kid. I made up my mind this is what I'm going to do. And I never wow. looked at anything else. So my universe always kind of, you know, evolved around the piano. Yeah. I made up my yeah. mind by the time I was third grade, I wanted to be a pianist. That's incredible. Yeah. I, yeah, you hear about a lot of it in the late teenage years, right? Mm -hmm. Like like myself, I started at 16, I was in math class, mm -hmm. and I got like, I must have gotten a C, and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense, I'm done. I want to. I want to be. I want to be, be a musician. This make. This is the grade I deserved. I didn't care, um, and it was kind of. It was a real big like bam. So you hear a lot of people mid to late teenage years, but mm. third grade. What is seven, eight years old? I, I was, That's pretty. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I. The, I didn't know. I. I. I said the third grade because I didn't know the term pianist until then. Oh. Ah. Okay. Yeah. So you knew that your heart was there, but you didn't know yeah. what to call the job. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, but that determined everything I did um, in a teenager. I studied so hard my academic stuff because I said, oh, I'm going to conservatory. And that means I'm not going to do much of academic once I graduate high school. I better do that now. 
See, that's a really good mindset because yeah. I feel like a lot of people would have said, oh, opposite, I'm going to school right? for music. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, I'm not looking at anybody yeah. I'm sitting with right now. But Yeah, <laughs> hey. yeah exactly. I that's hate why math. I'm going to go to music school, right? Yeah. Well, for the record, I didn't hate math. I, I loved math, which is why I, I totally so, just I, – I know, Ryan. You're a really smart guy. I know that. So yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, side note, just just for all of those, yes. I have to share this little ant, yes. uh, antidote. Yeah, not antidote. antidote. <laughs> um, so, so I was in Rieko's uh, in the class she taught, which was oral skills one and two yes. for freshmen, and I had uh, an incredible teacher who had taught me already about scale degrees, and I had done a whole bunch of things, and I remember getting doing the test and doing the midterm for oral skills, um, one, yeah, uh, no, it was two. And I got an 80 mm-hmm. and I came in and I was feeling myself cause I was like, yeah, freshman year kind of just like pulled it out of my butt, got an 80. Mm-hmm. And I remember yeah. Rieka, you just like looked at me and you just like shook your head. You were just like, you didn't try. You didn't try at all. You didn't apply yourself. Like you didn't deserve this grade. Like, no, 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 no. And that's when I was like, yep. No, I wasn't it was, that it was- harsh, but I, I, I think what <laughs> I said, what I said was, you know, you got something like a B plus or something. And I said, you could be a student. Yeah. Yes. I, <laughs> you weren't up to your potential. That's what I it said. Took, that's yes. There we go. Mm-hmm. So, but it was great though, I think for, for a young student in general, we're going back to university for a second, when you have that mindset of big fish, small pond, it's really great to have your professors. Um, it seems like you have a good relationship with the teachers you've had in your past, um, show you that it's music school and music in general and creativity is not judged by the letter grade you get. At some point, mm-hmm. you're going to be out in the field, and when you're yep. taking a gig or you're accompanying somebody, you're teaching. The person who's you know who's hiring you for the job or or for whatever isn't going to come to you with a B plus. Yeah, mm-hmm. like this is, you know, at some point at the collegiate level, you kind of disappear from the letter grades, and it's more about like, okay, where is this going to put you? Well, and yeah. I also feel like a like a good teacher will also um, explain the difference between. Uh, your technical skill, right? Your mm-hmm. proficiency on the instrument, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't be creative and expressive. So like, yes, this letter grade might show your proficiency, mm-hmm. but it's that your creativity and expression mm-hmm. is independent of that. So it's yeah. not a blanket judgment, but, mm-hmm. you know, and being able to illustrate that like, yes, this is where you need work, but you can still exist and and be creative. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, those things that I taught classes, you know, a lot of students hate, unfortunately, those mandate, you know, music skills, class piano, and even first year music theory at the end of my tenure there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, those things actually really gives you a tools to understand the music and when you start teaching, you appreciate those things. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Be- yeah. yeah. Because you need a lot of way to explain and demonstrate the yes. skills. And all students, they're all different. So, you know, verbal skills in- is important. Like how many different ways you can say one thing, just one thing. 
you know like how yep. to stop like if you're a singer you know you want to teach them the voice technique now how yep. to explain how to give a good support and you need so many different ways because kids all different way to understand yes. things yep so that, so how, that yeah mm-hmm. go ahead oh the delay no, no, is ahead. messing with me go ahead please uh how when did you start teaching how did you find the bug for teaching which is another musical aspect and talk um, about diversifying i started uh teaching a little bit when i was a senior at, at my undergrad um i was actually teaching the class of 3 years old there are six oh, of them wow. at the same time. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and that's I, awesome. I taught them ear training and a little bit of very beginning piano. And I think that qualifies you for sainthood, actually. <laughs> no, they were so much fun. They were, were so they? much fun. Oh, I had a great time, you know. <laughs> uh, and actually, I found that I was really good at it. And it was so cute because, you know, they're pretty actually smart three years old. You know, we did, yeah. you know, like I played the major triad, minor triad, and diminished triad, and augmented triad. And they're going oh to they, wow. they, write sun for the major triad and umbrella for minor triad and <sighs> a little devil with horn for the diminished and augmented oh. Augmented, you know what they did? They did a belly button. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. I know. And they were so good. And then I teach them like a really easy piano music. But then sometimes, and then we sometimes play the record and they draw, you know, just to kind of use their imagination. Then while we play the music and I was, you know, supervising the drawing, one of them come to me and say, Miss Rieko, I miss my mommy. Can I get a hug? And I was like, of course. Oh. So, yeah. So that was really, really fun. Um, then I then I, I started, uh, I, I, took, I gave some private lesson during my grad school too. Yeah. Then I started Yuma Startmas as, first I was just a, a, a companist for the first few years. I okay. played for the chorus and I did the voice lessons. Then I started doing a lot of voice coaching uh, outside of the voice lesson. Yeah. Uh, then they, uh, the music department started giving me piano students and I started class piano. Uh, so, yeah, lots of things kind of happened gradually. And where, so between when you were doing your um private teaching in grad school and then when you got to UMass, how, what projects, where were you at in terms of your performing? Were you with the cabaret project at that point? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was in the middle of doing a lot of cabaret stuff. Um, and also I was doing a lot of classical uh, collaboration, like accompanying uh, for the singers yeah. and then string play, uh, string players. Yes, uh, and it's some wood. Do you feel so that? I, um, do you feel that doing like being involved in that cabaret group where you're working very closely with that, well, multiple singers and then that one singer especially? Do you think that 
helped set you up for UMass being in that context with um, accompanying singers was, and working with singers? Did it influence that? Um, well, I did already a lot of classic. I already played for a lot of classical voice lessons. So, oh, okay. Yeah. So I was, you know, basically during my grad schools, I was making my living by accompanying. So oh. I went to all classical instruments and just a classical voice. And sometimes I was doing probably six to seven hours of accompanying a day. Wow. Oh, that's and intense. That, yeah. So that's when I, I was already, I was, I was pretty good at sight reading that, but that really did it because I had no time to practice. So I just walk into the studio and play whatever was put in front of me. Which is incredible. I mean, I feel like there's there's still stories of your sight reading and ear training <laughs> moments from classes that that I keep hearing yeah. about from yes. from students across the Aww. years. For those of yeah, Aww. for those of you who don't know, Rieko's not messing around when she accompanies you. <laughs> She's playing no games. <laughs> That's right. I kill it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I was sight reading and transposing at the same time. Wow. That's incredible. So, okay. So this might sound like a little bit of a weird question, but run with me. Does mm -hmm. being bilingual help a little bit with that? Language, I think, helps. Um, I think that may, you know, that language skills as a teacher to communicate with students, uh, even though I have a weird accent, of course, you know, but, um, and I tend to drop L's in, and I replace them with R's. That's typical Japanese accent. Sometimes yeah. I see, um, <laughs> I, there's, there's a couple of legends at the Amazonas that I said something really funny without knowing, but, um, Oh no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, and also my ability to swear like sailors. So, um, you know, during the class, but, uh, there's um, lots of, lots of legends. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and there is one student asked me if they can make a Facebook group and then share my code. I said, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but, uh, anyway, I, I, you know, there's a, this famous uh, classical pian pianist, uh, Mitsuko Uchida. She's Japanese, but she speaks multiple languages, you know, and not even bilingual. She's like a qualingual or something. Um, the, you know, she believes, and I kind of half agree, that you need to know the list of the language that, you know, com that composers grew up with. Yeah. Um, in like um, even if it's a not if it's just the instrumental music. Uh, yeah, and so understand English, or you know, uh, and I don't speak German, French, but I and, or Italian, but I know the rhythm. I know how to pronounce them. I know how they right. sound like it, and I think that helps. And also, uh, you can tell I'm pretty talkative person. Now you know <laughs> podcast as well. So uh, I think. You know, verbal skills helps helps me as a teacher mm -hmm. a lot. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can see that. I mean, each language has its own uh, rhythm. Well, in, yeah. even like the language, but also the areas and the in the time periods. But they they all yeah. have their own rhythmic tendencies. They all have their own dynamic tendencies. Yeah. So and, understanding that. Yeah. And the way of thinking. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean. I found English is much better language when I am angry. Really? Interesting. This is, oh, I've heard yeah. you say that before. When I want to rant, English is better language to rant than Japanese. And what, so what is it about the English language that makes it that way? It's As compared to... I think it's more logical. So I can really communicate why... I'm upset about whatever that is. Okay. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's a more argumentative language. It's good for debate. It's good for argument. Almost um, like it's, is it like a more direct in a way, in the way things no, are phrased? it's logical. It's logical, I think. Okay. And Interesting. Uh, yeah, I wish Japanese. I spoke Japanese so yeah. I could compare <laughs> these two. Yeah, J- Japanese is kind of... And also the rhythm. English has much more interesting rhythm to it. Japanese is all about intonation, but the rhythm is basically like, like a perpetual ace notes. Okay. Ah, okay. Yes, it's all about Definitely. intonation. There is no dotted quarter or you know swing rhythm or anything. So and there's a lot of fluctuation yes. in American speech. Yes. yes. It, yeah. Definitely in Americanized yes. English. Yes. There's yeah. Yes, yeah, so you can put a lot of emotion to it. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's very interesting. Yes. Wow. So yeah, it's it's you know, but also academically, you know, to try to learn language, history, art, all other things, you know, everything you know contribute to how you play. Right. Yes. Yeah, I think this is sometimes too when people uh, you talk about jazz or or any any um, music that could start to be homegrown and underground in a mm-hmm. club scene for a while. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why sometimes people feel like the the academic generation doesn't understand it is because of all of the things that come behind it. Right. Right. There's yeah. a, lo- a whole lot of historical racial yeah. connotations to yeah. certain styles of music. Yep. Um, the affluency. Of, of where things come from, the neighborhoods, the environments, the reason that if you understand that material and you, you walk a day in the life and you've researched and you've, you understand and you pay the genre the respect it deserves, where it's, it's, it's not just a piece of music, but it's a piece in a timeline yes. far and beyond it, just yeah. the notes. And it changes your perception. You know, um, Ken, uh, the, the latest Ken Burns, you know Ken Burns, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Did you guys watch uh, the country music? His latest one. No, no, I've seen oh. the one on. J- he does the jazz one. Yes, that was years ago, but he just did uh, country music. Now, okay, this it was released just like a couple months ago, and I watched the entire thing. Now, I always made fun of country and western music. I was, I felt like a Bruce Brothers, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, okay, that's a music like you're cheating hard, but yeah. N- but now, after watching this episode, like uh, I forgot how many. It's like eight episodes or so. My concept changed completely. 
Wow. So knowing, I highly recommend, and especially, I highly recommend that show, especially for the people who don't like country Western music or who are not interested. Because it that really, would be me. Yep. Yes. <laughs> I really recommend because okay. now I have a new respect and now I can hear, I can actually listen to it and wow, I did And know. appreciate. Yes, appreciate it and really enjoy it. That's, so, uh, well, th- yeah. yeah, that makes sense because musically, right? If you think about things in life, we don't just like one thing and one reason why. You know, music yeah. isn't just like, well, I like this because I like the tone or I like this because I like the rhythm. Mm-hmm. I like this because it was a place in my timeline when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I like this because I understand the historical context of like yeah. why and we I, like things yeah. is not and, just one yeah. thing. Yeah. And I like it because I, I like the lyrics and that's fine mm-hmm. too. That's really fine too. But like a classical music is also a little bit difficult to get into, you know? Yeah. And. Um, and it's okay, like, you know, uh, like I played uh, the other day, I had this middle school student, and she was uh, doing some easy arrangement of some classical music, and I wanted her, we were talking the word cantabile, that's a classical music term, and I said, when cantabile means like like a singing, and I said, well, singing, but you, this, when Classical music said singing. They mean operatic singing. So right. I went to the YouTube and I played some of the operas, you know, opera aria. This student never heard classical singing before. And she said, that sounded so weird. Right. Absolutely. Well, I get that yeah. from my own students yeah. because they yeah. only hear pop music. Yeah. So they're used to hearing though that kind of vocal type and then all of a sudden they are exposed to something different and they don't even know how to process it. Yeah. And I told them, I told her, well, this person can sing in big concert hall that can house more than 2000 people. And she can sing without microphone and every single person can hear her voice. Yeah. And she was totally dumbfounded. Yeah, and I think too, which is which is something that your student might might vouch for too. When you have somebody who you respect, mm-hmm. uh, let's just take in the context musically, mm-hmm. when they introduce a side to a music that you're initially mock or or aren't for, you know, your your ears mm-hmm. kind of reject. When it's yeah. somebody you respect explaining something, mm-hmm. you're much more apt to it. Yeah, I remember yes. growing up, any teacher that I had for music that I would just think is stupid or ridiculous because I was a teenager or a young, young adult, mm-hmm. any teacher who would be like, no, nah, this is really cool because X, Y, and Z, or mm-hmm. you should really check this out because of this, yeah. I'd be much more open to it because I was like, I like what they're doing and I trust them because yeah. they, they know all this stuff and I want to be that at that point. I like this. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to them. So when you yes. have somebody you respect – introduce in something a little different from what you're yeah. used, used to hearing, you're much more open to it. Yeah, like my college boyfriend who introduced me to King Crimson, right? Mm-hmm. Right, you know? which is out there music yeah. for sure. Yeah. yeah. I just saw them the other day, actually. I saw them in Boston. Three drummers at the same time. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, three full drum sets. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. I mean, you know, 
there's sky's the limit and nowadays it's so much easier because now crossover is nothing unusual you know right mm -hmm. like uh, i think yo in the classical world yoyoma was one of the first person who started breaking I can those see that. walls you know yep. he's he started playing jazz standard you know and the tango and the stuff in like early 90s which was never heard of before right um classical you know the jazz musicians played classical music that happened before but right the other side never happened before probably ex um so that was really cool and now we have two cellos you know those guys you know play uh, two cello cellist plays they play you know, Guns and Roses and stuff like yep. that. Um, yep. And, you know, so that's... Yeah, who was the um, famous piano player who you told me once, um, he, you don't like, it starts with an L, I want to say, you don't like the way he, he his face always scrunches up. Oh, um, um, uh, is that Lan Lan? Yes, yeah, he played yeah. with Metallica <laughs> at the Grammys. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. A couple yeah. years back. Exactly. So, yeah, definitely... So that only would happen because Yo-Yo Ma branched open. Didn't he do stuff with Bobby McFerrin as well as Yo-Yo Ma? I believe he did. I, yeah. yeah I yep. think he did, yes. Absolutely. Yep. So yeah. that, that whole – when he branched out after that, that became mainstream to introduce that Yeah, he was probably – you music. know, Yo-Yo Ma um, also, you know, he was another person who loves diversity. You know, he yes. his undergrad, he went to Harvard. You know, he did – he went to Juilliard, but also he did. He went to Harvard because he didn't want to go to just conservatory. He wanted to have a yeah. more wide experience. Um, yep. So that kind of you know attitude was very unusual before, but now it's it's getting normal, which I think it's great. You know, and a lot of music school now requires classical, you know, music major students to do a little bit of improvisation and jazz at least. You know, as a part yeah. of requirement, um, which I think everyone should do that, really, you know. Yeah. Um, because Baroque music was very improvisational. Right. You know, there's a lot of things you can add. And then you were, the problem, you know, problem was you were supposed to know everything, you know, when you play. The Baroque, during the Baroque, all the music profession was hereditary. It was like artisan. So from father to son to the grandson, everything was taught by their parents. So that's one of the reasons music is so minimum. You know, the written instruction is so minimum. You're supposed to know everything. But, oh. Yeah. So I did not know this. Yes. You know, the, like Johann Sebastian Bach, his family for generations and generations of musicians you know, employed by either charge or either aristocrats or royalties. But that was profession like blacksmith, you know, just it's a family business. That's very interesting. Yeah. And when it comes to this improvisation, why, yeah, mm -hmm. it's interesting, Sorry. too, that there's that this mindset, too, of like, OK, well, I'm going to be a classical musician. I'm going to, um, you know not going to improvise this piece, or I'm a jazz musician. I improvise everything. What people don't understand too, is that we just improvised an entire conversation. 
Like you improvise all of the time in your daily life. Like, yes. what am I going to wear? Okay, I'll find something. Yeah. Like, what am I going to cook? Okay, I guess I'm going to cook something. Yeah. Like we improvise. Uh, how am I going to like drive to work today? Okay, well, I have some roots that I know, just like you know you have certain languages, but like you have words and phrases, but we improvise all of the time. It's yes, no but, different but, with music. Yes, but you have a skill to improvise. That's true. Right. 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 So, so we know so I know the template why, of the language. Exactly. So um, unless you're doing like hundred percent freestyle, you know, and even to make even hundred percent freestyle to make it interesting, you need to have some skills. Yes. You know? mm-hmm. Otherwise it's gonna be same as those YouTube cat who plays the piano. <laughs> You know, the, yeah. the difference between YouTube cats or dog who can play and a human being improvisation is we actually consciously make decisions. Right, right. We just said that. Yeah, time. I that didn't was... like that. And, and, and then you can make a better decision. The more you know, the better. Mm-hmm. Right, because also it will prevent you from just repeating the same decision over and over again yeah. unknowingly. Yeah. So it, it, it allows you to truly be free and that you're not just going to keep creating the same small concept. Exactly. Awesome. Well, All right, so we have hit our, our mark at this no. moment and we, we end, I know it goes by in a blink, mm-hmm. But we end every podcast with the Strumpfler surprise. Talk about improvisation. Ah. This is entirely improvised. None of these planned whatsoever. Okay. Uh, usually it comes up to my head around the 45-minute mark when I go, oh, crud, oh, crud, oh, crud, oh, crud. I need something. Um, what's the hardest piece you ever had to play? Hardest piece I ever had to play? No pressure. Just go through everything you've ever played in your life. <laughs> um, hardest you emotionally or technically anything yeah no i think emotionally is valid as well but also take technically i'll i'll take both um, if you want okay um the, one of the things that was hardest um because it was so not rewarding um, oh, and so uh, not worth it for me was uh, okay. So this is a this is a kind of a story. I'm sorry. So you have to let me start from the start to the from you, the start. To you, the floor is yours. The floor <laughs> okay. is yours. Good. Okay. So I was at the University of Kansas. Then I was grad student there too. I did a lot of graduate. By the way, I did a lot of graduate program because until I find a job, I found a job at UMass Dartmouth. I had to keep my student visa status, and so oh. I did a lot. I didn't want to be here illegally, so I kind of was like a grad school gypsy. Anyway, so I was at the <laughs> University of Kansas, um, and uh, so again, part of my scholarship, I did a lot of accompanying. And I had my regular people, but sometimes some people just call me because they need it for their degree recital. So yeah. this guy called me, and he said he was a tuba player. He needed a pianist. And so this is outside of my scholarship, so he had to pay me privately. Um, 
and uh, so he was doing a bunch of pieces, and one of the things was Hindemith, uh, a sonata for children piano by pa uh, Paul Hindemith, which is really, uh, piano has gazillions of notes. And tuba has maybe, I don't know, all to get 25. I'm exaggerating, but um, <laughs> you, get, you get my drift. Piano yes. has all blah, 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 blah. And then tuba, you know, just like uh, probably, you know, like third basement floor and just okay. Oh, um, no. Anyway, okay. So, and I asked him, okay, how many rehearsals do you want to do? And he said, well, um, two is fine because I want to pay for the stupid rehearsal. And I was like, Ooh, oh, that is a bad okay. start. You know, we should do another podcast about, you know, how to treat companies. But that, anyway, that's another story. Uh, <laughs> anyway. we'll, we'll jot you down for a later I, date on that one. I, have, I can write a book about the horror story of being a company. But anyway, so, I, so then I, my attitude was, oh. All right, you don't want to invest. I'm not going to invest either. So uh, we had the first rehearsal, um, and basically uh, his attitude was so terrible. So I decided not to practice, and uh, you know oh, wow. he didn't even nice. care. Hindemith is kind of half atonal, and all he asked was, you know, you know how they play tuba, sitting down. And you can see most of his because he's behind the tuba. And he just peeked out of tuba once in a while and said, are we together? And are we together? <laughs> That's all he said. So, so I smiled and said, yes, we're together. And then I just kind of sight read and I made it up because I knew it wasn't making any difference to him. Um, oh, my God. And, yeah, it was terrible. And he didn't care. So... I just this and he was paying me like really little. So then, so when I came back to Boston later, you know, and I was talking to some other, you know, brass players who was much better player, treat me well. I was doing, uh, he was doing the trombone recital. I told him about this, and then he said, "Yeah, but if you play that Hindemith tuba, you know, sonata, you can make a lot of money during the spring, you know, because every tuba student will play it." And I told that guy, honey, I'd rather starve. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. So, that is amazing. You know, any challenging piece, as long as you get the, you know, you like the music. Yeah, it's rewarding. I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it hard. You know, it might take yeah. longer to practice, but that's not hard. I like that. That was the yeah, good answer. That is definitely the that is definitely a hard piece right there. Yes. Yes. So that's my answer. Wow. Wow. That's, that's fantastic. Solid. Fantastic. <laughs> How about you, Ryan? Uh the hardest piece. Oh man. Okay. Well this is this is kind of it's not nearly as climactic, but it's kind of in the vein. I was thinking about it. I had to do some real Bologna hard stuff for Jim Robitaille. Mm -hmm. Like these uh this atonal piece in 21 eight um but the hardest piece i ever had to play was a simple pop tune at my sister's wedding mm. um interesting because i i, I kind of hyped myself up and i was like i'm not gonna cry it's no big deal i'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry 
And then I watched my sister walk down the in. You can't see it now for everybody out there, which is great, but I'm definitely tearing up a little bit now. Uh, don't look, Kelsey. Uh, <laughs> but I watched my sister walk down the aisle, and I just – I. I definitely was like, oh, yeah, uh, definitely, I'm sobbing. Um, and we started the piece, and thank goodness I had played guitar for like 16 years up to that point, because I was <laughs> yeah. all, all muscle memory, all yeah, muscle all, memory. Like, yeah, they, I was like, oh, man, it wasn't so bad that I had to stop, but it wasn't, like, the, the musical performance was fine, yeah. and I wasn't the only one crying, which made it work. Yeah. Um, you know, well, cause I played her first dance, her and my, Aww. my brother-in-law's first dance. This was like a year and a half ago. Aww. Yeah. So talk about, I thought the way you opened up emotionally tough was great. Cause yes, there's a lot of thing, pieces where my fingers had to move fast or I had to play some chords I would have never challenged, you know, soloed on or, or whatever. But that was the one where I was like, Oh, thank goodness that I know how to play a C chord already. Aww. Cause if not, this would be tough. So that Aww. was probably the toughest piece. That's, I love yeah, that. I can see that. I can Aww. see that. All right. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go completely literal with this mm -hmm. because this was just a bad decision that I made. Uh, I, we were supposed to perform this and we didn't get time to actually run it, which we didn't realize until we were performing it. But it was another like four chord pop song. Mm -hmm. um, if You Want to Be My Lover by Spice Girls. Yes. Right. So what I didn't think about when we were like, yeah, we can do it. It's the same four chords over and over again, is that there's five girls singing in Spice Girls and they oh, all no. the vocals overlap. And I was trying to sing the whole song by myself. <laughs> and oh, as no. I'm going through the song, I'm having to mentally edit like, when do I stop singing and start the next section, but without oh. making it sound like I'm just stopping in the middle of a sentence and I had to do it live in front of a whole, you know, restaurant bar full of people. Wow. And moral of the story is that we never performed that song again because it's not doable yeah, for one person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. You we need, need at least two people. <laughs> yeah, you need to study with. Oh, do you remember uh, Ken? Um, the Ken. You know, the yes. Teacher. Yeah. You need. Yes, to he's in California. Him. Yeah, he can. He can. You know, produce two voices at the same time. Oh, so, see, he would have been the guy to have. Yeah, probably not the Spice Girl <laughs> material, but if you want to be my lover, <laughs> that would be oh. really funny. That would be amazing. <laughs> well, Riengo, yeah. thank you so much oh, for interviewing with you. us. You're the best. Thank you for not kicking oh, me out of you. RL Skills 1. Oh, <laughs> oh, anytime, Ryan. But you awesome. really changed over those years at the UMass. You know, it, the, that's another thing so gratifying as a teacher to see how students are grow. You know, you yeah, you came in as a little cocky freshman, you know. You, <laughs> yeah. That's you, right. You tell him, yeah, Rico. <laughs> yeah, you you acted as if you know everything and you're so bored with this whole university thing. But, you know, by the time you you're you're you know, you're senior, you became really, you know, I don't know how to say this. You're you're really taking all in and you're contributing to everybody. You're sharing your talent. You're generous and just really curious. So you know, I you're you're one of the great success story. Oh, yeah. thank you. That's, that's awesome. That's 
That's very inspiring. And we have been lucky enough. We 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 were lucky enough to uh, grab him yeah. outside. Yes. I want to let you. College. I want to let you know that that I'm I'm definitely going to edit. I'm going to edit the freshman part, and I'm going to keep that senior part, <laughs> and I'm going right. to keep that That's loop. Right. <laughs> whenever That's I right. get. I'm hey Ryan, did you did you forget to shut off the lights of the heat last night? <laughs> you know, you're generous. You're kind. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The double. I I I follow your double bar music Facebook page, and it's so nice to see you know Brian and you know uh, David Alves and you know all these people because they all went through you know. I know. The, it's incredible yeah, what the community has has brought I here. Love. Yeah. Yes. And so, Kelsey, again, congratulations to your school, and it's really wonderful. You now, you guys are doing that to your students. Yeah, That's yeah. How it goes. The cycle yeah. continues. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Well, thank you. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you so much yes. for being on us. Awesome. Thank you.